as you and I look at Christ in the mirror of his word, as we see him, as we stare at him, as we think about him, as we meditate on who he was and what he did, the Spirit does something amazing. He metamorphosizes us into the same image. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series titled The Church According to Jesus. As we've seen over the last several programs, Christ has a plan for His church, and every good plan has a final goal, a final objective in mind, and it has a destination. Christ has a goal for his church. What is that goal and what is the destination he has in mind for his church? And how do we get there from here? Well, today Tom will continue to examine the plan Jesus has for building his church, spiritual gifts given in the unique capacity for believers to serve in the ministry of the church. Let's join Tom Pennington right now to discover more from God's Word on The Word Unleashed. In one of the strangest and greatest quirks of history, Columbus is famous for failing. He is famous for arriving at the wrong destination. If you are familiar with the story, you know the reason for his trip was clear. The Ottoman Turks had seized the land bridge between Europe and and Asia, China and India, And the Europeans had, in the meantime, developed a taste for all things Eastern. All of the spices and all of the the various resources that were there in China and India, Europeans had a taste for those things, and so they began looking for another route to the Far East that didn't take them across Ottoman Turk territory. Columbus decided that instead of taking the lengthy and dangerous trip around the Horn of Africa, that instead he could simply take the easy way and leave Europe and sail due west. He thought that if he sailed about 2,400 nautical miles due west, he would arrive at the islands around Japan. But his plan, of course, was based on several miscalculations. First and foremost, there was a fairly large land mass between where he was and Asia, Secondly, many in the 1400s, as Columbus did, relied on a map written in the, drawn up in the 100s A.D. by Ptolemy, an astronomer and geographer who believed that the world was mostly land and not ocean. And so Columbus thought that Asia extended much farther east than it actually does. Another miscalculation was he underestimated the circumference of the earth by about 25%. Ironically, because of all of those miscalculations, we celebrate Columbus Day every year. Most of the time, though, let me tell you that arriving at the wrong destination, accomplishing the wrong goal, failing in your plans is not a good thing. It certainly won't get you in the history books. And sometimes the consequences can be disastrous. As we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Christ has a plan for his church. 
And every good plan has a final goal, a final objective in mind. It has a destination. Christ has a goal for his church. He has a target for his church. But what is the goal of the church? What is the destination Jesus has in mind for his church, and how do we get there from here? Well, Paul identifies it for us in Ephesians chapter 4. You'll remember the flow of this passage. It's a paragraph that begins in chapter 4, verse 2, and runs down to verse 16, where we're told to preserve the unity of the church. And beginning in verse 7 and running down through the end of the paragraph, we're told one way to preserve the unity of the church is by the church functioning according to Christ's plan. Follow the plan, and there'll be unity. And so in verses 8 through 10, Paul explained how Christ, when he led that victory march into heaven after his ascension, gave spiritual gifts, that is a unique capacity to serve, to every believer, without exception, gifts that are to be used in the ministry of the church. And then in verses 7, and again in verse 11 and 12, Paul explains how those gifts fit into Christ's comprehensive plan for his church. Christ distributes spiritual gifts to all the members of his church. Then he appoints the leaders of the church, and then the leaders equip the members of the church. The members of the church accomplish the service of the church, and the outcome produces the growth of the church. That's Christ's plan. But in verse 13, Paul steps back, in a sense, and puts his finger on the map and says, there, that's where you need to go. That's the destination you should be aiming for. There's the new world. Look at verse 13 with me. It's really a monumental verse. I hope by the time we're done this morning you'll see the the incredible depth and profundity that's in this one verse. Verse 13, all of that plan that Christ has put in place is to happen until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There, folks, is the destination that Christ has in mind when he created his plan for the church. This is where he wants us to arrive. It's the new world, as it were, for the church. Now, in this one verse, Paul leads us through this this goal that Christ has, and we can sort of work our way through it by asking and answering four important questions about this goal, this destination that Christ has for his church. Four important questions about Christ's goal for his church. The first question that I want us to ask and answer is, when will we reach the goal? Notice how he begins verse 13, until, until. Remember now, he's just explained his plan for the church. Christ's plan for the church in those five parts of the plan that we worked our way through. And then he says, until. In other words, until measures the time this plan is to last. 
When will God's plan for the church be finished? The short answer, and we'll fill this out as we go through this verse, is when every single Christian arrives at perfect spiritual maturity. That's what the Greek phrase translated mature man literally means. Notice the end of the verse. Perfection means we will all be exactly like Jesus Christ. But when does that happen? When do we become perfect just like Jesus Christ? Well, you remember what the Apostle John said in 1 John 3? He says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. It's already a reality. We're already God's children, but it has not as appear, appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. So follow Paul's logic then. God's plan for the church isn't finished until all of us are perfect. And we aren't fully perfect or like Christ until He returns. That means that Christ's plan for His church will continue when? Until He returns. Now, this is so important for you to understand. God has a plan. Christ has a plan for his church. That plan began after his death and resurrection and ascension, and it will continue until he returns. We don't need to reinvent the plan for the church. This is the plan he has in mind. There are people in every generation who assume God's plan needs help. God's plan needs updating. They say, listen, you know, Ephesians 4 and all that went on in the New Testament church, that was fine for the first century and maybe even the 20th century, but people today are just more sophisticated. They need something more. They need something different. We need to update the plan. But the basic plan laid down in this passage has never and will never change until what? until Christ returns and we're all made perfect in Him. The plan should continue until the goal has been realized. And the end of the plan is when the members of the church, every single one of us, come to perfect maturity in our head, Jesus Christ. So don't chase after the latest gimmick or fad for the church. You know, you can, you can look as you go down the various boulevards of our cities and towns and see churches that have sort of given in to the latest deal. And it's, it's interesting to watch because every couple of years there's some new gimmick that comes on the scene and churches buy into it left and right as if Christ really needed help, as the plan is broken and needs to be fixed. Christ's plan has been the same from eternity past, and it's described right here. We've discovered it together, those five simple parts. That's how it works. There will never be some new secret. Nobody's going to suddenly uncover the lost map to success in the church, some new plan that's going to revolutionize the church. We already have the map, and it's right here in God's Word, and it's very clearly laid out in Ephesians 4. So when you pick up your Christian magazine or when you drive past the church billboards and you see this new plan, this new thing that's going to somehow revolutionize everybody's lives, realize it's not. We already have 
the plan and the destination until the fact that this plan is until we're all like Christ also means, folks, you can never retire from the church. You know, some people, when they retire from their jobs, they think, you know, I'm just going to kind of opt out of everything, go collect seashells, you know, just enjoy life. Listen, you can only retire from involvement in the church when the people who know you best say that you are completely and perfectly like Jesus Christ. Because the plan is until we're all like that. Until then, this is the plan, and like it or not, you're part of it. So Paul's answer to the question, when will this goal that Christ has for his church be realized, is when Christ returns and makes us perfect. That raises the next question we need to look at. Who will reach the goal? When is when Christ returns and makes us like himself? Who will reach the goal? Notice verse 13, until we all. No Christian is excluded. There is in that expression the implication of what theologians call the perseverance of the saints, or perhaps better, the preservation of the saints. We all, that is every true Christian, will someday arrive at this goal. And the goal is spiritual perfection, likeness to Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, turn over with me to John chapter 6, he loves this idea that true saints will persevere. And here in John chapter 6, it's put very clearly. He makes the point, notice verse 37. John quotes Jesus as saying this. John six thirty-seven: All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. That's a fascinating verse. It underscores both God's sovereignty and salvation in two ways. It underscores sovereign election and the effectual call. Those who come to Christ will be whom? Those whom God has chosen. That's election. And when the Spirit summons them, they will come to Christ Without exception, there's the effectual call. But notice the next verse, verse 38. For, because, here's why that's going to happen. Here's why I won't cast them out. Here's why they'll come, and when they come, they'll forever be with me. Because, for, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, the reason you are secure in me, the reason I will never turn away any of those the Father draws, any of those who come to me, is because of this. I have been sent to do God's will. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Folks, listen, our security doesn't come from us. 
It's not because of your hold on Christ that you are guaranteed to one day be with Christ and be like Christ. It's because of his hold on you. And he has a hold on you because this was the Father's will. Did you see those expressions? All that the Father has given me. Listen, folks, as I've reminded you before, our salvation is part of a much bigger plan. It isn't all about us. The reason your salvation is secure is because of something the Father is doing to His Son. It's because He has redeemed you and sought you out to redeem you and to redeem me to give us as a love gift to His Son. And the Father's not going to let that fail. And Christ isn't going to let that fail. All that He's given me, it's His will that I raise them up and I give them eternal life. Listen, for Christ to fail to perfect one of those whom the Father gave him would be a direct violation of his Father's will. And folks, that's not going to happen. We will all persevere. We all. It's interesting, by the way, isn't it, that Paul includes himself here? He says, until we all attain. Here Paul inserts himself back into the text with the readers. And that's a, really a fascinating point, because Paul is an apostle. Paul has been in Christ for 30 years by this time, by the time he writes this letter. And in just a few short years, he will lose his life for the cause of Jesus Christ, but he still includes himself until we all attain to that. In other words, the Apostle Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, 30 years into his Christian life, as an apostle handpicked by Christ, appeared to by Christ, given revelations by Christ, he says, I haven't arrived yet either. Now, folks, if Paul didn't arrive at spiritual perfection in this life, neither will you and neither will I. But here's our great hope. Paul says, we all will arrive. We will arrive. It will happen. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a great source of joy to me that in spite of my current struggles with sin, that I am growing toward a goal, that goal is Christ-likeness, and someday, in spite of who I am, in spite of my own heart, in spite of my own struggles, I will be like him because I will see him just as he is. Philippians 1.6 promises us that, doesn't it? He who began a good work in you. Listen, you didn't start your salvation. God did. God initiated that. He who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. He will carry it out unto completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Christ returns. This should give you fresh energy, fresh strength in your own battle with sin. Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Someday you will be like Jesus Christ. Who will reach the goal? Paul says, we all will. All of those who have come to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will arrive at this destination. The third question that Paul asks and answers here is how do we reach the goal? 
How do we reach this goal? Verse 13 explains an interesting language. He says, this plan that Christ has is going to go on until we all, every Christian without exception, attain. Until we all attain. Now, that's not a word we use very often in English, and it's probably not the best translation of the word from the Greek text either. This word that's translated, the Greek word that's translated attain, is used some nine times in the book of Acts, literally. And literally, the word refers to travelers arriving at an actual destination. For example, Luke writes in Acts 21.7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. We arrived. There's our word. We arrived. When this word is used metaphorically, it simply means to arrive at a goal. So maybe a better translation would be this, until we all arrive. Now obviously there is in that word then a word picture. Paul intends to help us think about the journey toward Christ-likeness a certain way. By choosing this word, he's given us, giving us an illustration of the process of spiritual development. Our spiritual growth resembles a long journey. There's a starting point, there's the trip itself, and ultimately there is the arrival at the destination. The starting point was what? Our salvation, that moment in time when God drew us to himself, when he gave us the faith to believe, when he gave us repentance and we responded, we saw the beauty of Christ and nothing else mattered, we wanted Christ. That was the starting point. That began a journey. The journey itself is this entire life. Every moment, every day you live in this life, you are on a journey. You will never arrive at the destination in this life. You are on a journey. The final arrival at the destination comes when you die or when Christ returns. That's when we arrive. It's a great picture of our spiritual development, isn't it? But there's another picture in this text. In the same paragraph, Paul uses the growth of the human body as an illustration of our spiritual growth and development. Look at verse 13. Mature man... A mature adult man is the idea. Verse 14, no longer children. Verse 15, grow up. Verse 16, the growth of the body. So then Paul means us to compare our spiritual growth to to a long journey that we're on, and we won't arrive at the destination until we die or Christ returns. And he also wants to think of it as the physical growth of our bodies. Now, that is so important that you get this mindset because we live in a culture, a Christian culture, where there are flawed views of spiritual growth and development. There are two very popular views of spiritual growth or sanctification that absolutely deny these two pictures, the picture of a long journey or the picture of the growth of the human body. And it's easy for us to to want them to be true because they're easier.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his current series, The Church According to Jesus. Tom will bring you part six on our next program. But Tom, the business and activities of the world outside the church are a reality for most people. But if we're not careful, those things can distract from the most important things, can't they? You know, Bill, the Greek word that the New Testament uses is simply a word that means grace gifts. These are unique capacities for service that Christ, as an expression of his grace, gives to every believer. It's given to us at the moment of salvation, and we are equipped to serve his body, the church to which we belong, to fill a role just like every member of our physical bodies plays a role in the function of the whole. Even so, every member of Christ's spiritual body, including the church you belong to, has been equipped to serve in the church for the good and edification of the church to the glory of Christ. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.